The set, second talk in Parsha Shaftim, in volume 14, the Rebbe focuses on the verse in this week's Parsha, Navi mikir kamaini, a prophet from amongst you, from amongst your brethren like me. God, Yakim Moshe says, God will bring up for you a love Tishmon, you should listen to him. And the sages say, a love Tishmon, you should listen to him. Listen to the prophet, even if he tells you to go against one of the commandments in the Torah, like Elio, Elijah, and Hara Carmel, Mount Carmel, that if he's saying to transgress something only temporarily, like Elio told them to bring an offering, even though they were not allowed to bring an offering at that time outside of the Beta Mikdash of the Holy Temple, Shemala, you should listen to him. So that's, that would see it as part of the laws of prophecy, that you're supposed to listen to the prophet even when he's telling you to do something wrong, if it's only temporarily and it doesn't involve idolatry. Now, there's an earlier verse in last, in last week's parsha in Re'ei, that says, Hishamer lecha, be careful, do not bring an offering, b'chol makim wherever you choose. So it says in the Sifri, you can't bring it wherever you choose, but you could bring it wherever the prophet will tell you to, like Elijah told you, Baharakarma, like Elio and Harakarma. Says the Rebbe, theoretically, it's not understood. If there's a general instruction, listen to the prophet, wherever he tells you to go against the laws of the Torah, if it's only temporarily, obviously that will include also bringing an offering on Obama, bringing an offering on, a, on an altar outside of the Beta Mikdash, outside of the Holy Temple, even when it's not allowed. If that's the case, why does it have to say specifically in the laws of, of, of offerings that you should listen, that you could bring an offering if the pro, in a place where the prophet tells you? So the Ragit Shavar explains this, the famous Ragit Shavar Gaon explains this based on a Yerushalmi, based on what it says in the Jerusalem Talmud. That it says that it says in the Jerusalem Talmud that the Bama, you're only allowed to bring an offering on an altar outside of the temple if a prophet tells you, and it derives it from this verse, that it's only forbidden when you choose to bring it where you want to, but Elio, when he told you to bring it, when the when the bamis were forbidden, that is permitted to do. Rab Simlai says, on the other hand, it's a rule that according to a prophet, you're allowed to bring an Abama even when the Beis Amikdash is around, and it's not considered bringing an offering outside of the Beis Amikdash. Says the Ragit Shavar, that's what the Jerusalem Talmud holds, but the Babylonian Talmud holds differently. The Jerusalem Talmud sees it as part of the rules of Obama, part of the rules of the prohibition against offering an, an offering outside of the Beis Amikdash is that when a prophet tells you to, that's not considered bringing it outside of the Beis Amikdash. That's for, that's permitted. On, on the, the Bavli, on the other hand, says the Ragitchaver, will will argue, will feel that this is a law in the laws of prophecy. In other words, it's not a law in the rules of Bama, that a Bama is only that an altar outside of the Beis Amikdash is only prohibited when a prophet didn't tell you, but when a prophet told you to, then it was permitted in the first place, but rather it's a rule in prophecy that the prophet tells you to do something, it overrides all of the commandments, therefore it's prohibited, but you're allowed to do it regardless. According to this, 
It would seem that this Sifri, who is also saying that Elio and Harakarmel is an example of Elav Tishmon, of doing what the Prophet tells you, even when he tells you to go against one of the mitzvahs of the Torah, would seem to also be, be following, would be seeing this not as a rule that you're allowed to bring an offering outside of the Beis Amigdash under those circumstances, but rather as a rule in prophecy that you're allowed to listen to the prophecy, prophets even when it overrides this general instruction. But, the Rebbe says, one second, you see that the Sifri brings down, in both instances, Elio and Harakarmel as an example. Both when it says that you should listen to a prophet even when he's telling you to go against one of the commandments, and when it's telling you that, it, that their prohibition of the Bama only applies outside, the prohibition of bringing an offering outside of the Beis Amigdash only applies when a prophet didn't instruct you to do so. But how could they both be examples of uh, uh, how could Elio and Harakarmel be an example of both of these? Either this is a prohibition, and therefore it's an example of how prophets could override the prohibition, or it's an exception to the rule of Bama, and therefore it's, it has nothing to do with the, with the general rule of prophecy. It's a rule of Bama that you're allowed to bring an offering under those circumstances. So how do you reconcile the fact that he brings both of them? To, uh, to explain this, the Rebbe says, let's look at a rule at the end of the, 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 the tractate of Zvachim, the tractate of Zvachim that deals with all of the offerings in the Torah, deals with, uh, includes the, the, the conclusion of the tractate includes the rules of Abama. The rules of when you're allowed to offer out on, a, on, a, on an altar and how, what types of offerings are allowed to be brought on an altar outside of the, the, the Bet HaMikdash, etc. The Rebbe asked the question, what do we need all these rules altogether? They're irrelevant today. We're not allowed to bring an offering on a, on a, on a bama, on, a, on an altar outside of the Beit HaMikdash nowadays. So why would it deal, why would the tractate need to tell us about things that are no longer relevant, that are only in the past? As the Talmud asks sometimes, my dahava hava, what happened already happened. If it's no longer relevant, so why does it have to tell us all of these details? So one interpretation he tries to give is based on a, the fact that non-Jews, are allowed to bring an offering at Obama, are allowed to bring offerings outside of the temple. And therefore, you could interpret this need for this entire section of the Talmud to tell you if a non-Jew will come and ask you for the laws that relate to their bringing an offering at Obama, then it'll be relevant to know what is, what is allowed and what isn't allowed. But he says, to say that that's what the entire section of the tractate, something that, that never happens, and that's, and, and that's very rare to assume that it happens. And even if it were to happen, isn't an obligation on us to tell him what to do. It's only if he comes and asks you for the rules as they apply to us, because he wants to bring the offering in accordance with the laws of Judaism. To say that all of this would be relevant for that is very, is very distant. It must be relevant for the Jewish people in, in some way. Especially since, the, how do we know that an non-Jew is allowed to bring an offering on, on, on a bama, an offering at an altar outside of the Beit HaMikdash? Because it says, Dabra B'nai Yisrael, speak to the Jewish people and tell them the laws of bringing an offering specifically in the Holy Temple. If that's the case, then all of the way in which, which sacrifices were allowed to bring an bama, etc., you could argue also only relate to the Jewish people and don't relate to the non-Jew in the first place. So therefore, to say that this is all for if a non-Jew asks us, that's, that's hard to say. So therefore, the Rebbe argues that what, why, is the, why is the tractate of Zvachim telling us all of these laws of Obama? Because it could be relevant. When is it relevant? If a prophet tells us to bring this offering. 
What about the fact that there's no prophecy? So the Rebbe makes a very fascinating argument, a central argument here, that the fact that there's no prophecy nowadays is not by law. It doesn't need to be that way. It's just that we don't have anybody relevant, worthy of prophecy, but at any moment, if there's somebody worthy of prophecy, prophecy could return. He says, the Talmud says, once the final prophets passed away, Chagai, Zechariah, and Malachi, the holy, the divine spirit, Nistalka, it, 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 it seized, it moved away from the Jewish people. It says That doesn't say that it's impossible for there to be Ruach HaKadosh, for there to be prophecy. Rather, Nistalka, it seized, it was taken away because there was nobody that had all of the qualities that was necessary. But the moment that somebody comes along with those necessary qualities, you could still have prophecy nowadays. That's why it doesn't say butla. It doesn't say it stopped or it seized as it uses that terminology in several other similar examples, but rather Nistalka, it went away because there wasn't anybody that had the necessary qualities. But as soon as somebody will have those qualities, the prophecy is still possible and capable of happening nowadays. Um, he says, you see this actually in the Ramam, in Maimonides, in Igeres Teman, in the letter he wrote, the, 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 the letter of Yemen, where he talks about the fact, he, he gives the whole calculation of how Bilam was, 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 was talking about prophecy, and he says prophecy will return to the Jewish people. So he makes the argument that the same number of years into Human history, that Bilam existed, that many years from Bilam, prophecy will return to the Jewish people. In other words, he's making the argument that prophecy is possible nowadays. Not only that, but the Rambam goes on to say that this was fulfilled, that you see that there was a particular person that was able to say, uh, that lived around that time, that was able to, to, to tell the future, to foretell the future. And from here, you see that he was certainly considered a prophet. In other words, the Rambam saying that there actually was prophecy that came back even during the time of Gullus, even during the time of exile. What about the fact that that's still a very rare thing in all of human history that we know of up to this date? It only happened once that a prophet, Elio and Hara Carmel, that a prophet said to bring an offering outside of the base of Migdash. Still, why would we need all of these laws of Obama? And furthermore, when the prophet comes and gives the instructions, why, why not let him give the full instructions, the details of how to do that at that time. So to explain this, the Rebbe says this fits with this idea that we said, that it's not a, a rule of prophecy, that prophets could overrule the Torah and therefore could tell us to go ahead and, and bring an offering, even outside the Beis HaMikdash, but rather it's part of the rules of Bama in the first place. In other words, the rule that says that an offering could only be brought in the temple and not at an altar outside, that rule itself says that if and when a prophet will tell you to bring it, then you're supposed to bring it. It's part of the rules of, of the prohibition that the prohibition never applied in that instance, in that, in that circumstance. If that's the case, even if it happens very rarely, this is part, this isn't that we're overriding the rules of the Torah to allow an offering to be brought when a prophet tells you, but rather this is part and parcel of the rules of Bama, part and parcel of the rules of not offering an offering outside the base Amigdash is that when a prophet tells you to do so, it's allowed. It's, 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 it was never forbidden in the first place. 
And therefore, that's part of the rules of Bama. The details of what will happen when a prophet tells you to do it and how you should go about bringing it is part and parcel of the of the laws of prophecy that we of the laws of Bama. I mean, of the laws of bringing a, a carbon that we need to know that are relevant for the for for the circumstance for the, for knowing all of the laws of zvachim for knowing all of the laws of, of of the sacrifices. He says, according to this, it makes sense that even the Bavli that says that it's it has to do with the laws of prophets is also agreeing with this. What's the difference between a prophet having told you to bring an, uh, an offering on the Bama and uh, and 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 a, a, a and overriding the rules of the Torah and it being a, a, a detail in the laws of Bama? He says the difference will be the degree of sanctity which it's able to achieve. If we consider it one of the rules of a Bama, one of the rules of of, of offerings only in the Beis Amigdash, that can only be brought in the Beis Amigdash once the Beis Amigdash, once we have a temple, you're not allowed to bring an offering anywhere else unless a prophet told you. But why? Because then the offering that you're bringing, normally you couldn't bring any obligatory offerings in a Bama. They could only be brought in the Beis Amigdash in the Holy Temple. Why? Because even though you could fulfill, you could you could do a mitzvah of a sacrifice, of an offering, by bringing an offering even outside the temple, it didn't have enough sanctity to affect the person bringing it. That the person could fulfill his obligation by bringing this offering outside of the Beis HaMikdash. But when a, a, when a prophet instructs a person to bring an offering in Obama, then that becomes like he's fulfilling an obligation. That's the closest you could get to an obligatory offering so that you're actually essentially extending the sanctity that's achieved through the offering to be not only fulfilling the mitzvah of bringing a karban, but actually fulfilling the obligation of, the, of, of fulfilling the instruction that the prophet gave you. And therefore you've extended the sanctity beyond the sacrifice itself to be influencing, to be affecting the world as well, to be achieving the person's fulfillment, the person's obligation of bringing the offering as well. He says a similar thing, this relates actually to the beginning of the tractate of Svachim as well, that talks about offerings that were brought with the improper intent, that they are a kosher offering, but they haven't fulfilled the obligation on behalf of the, of the person bringing the offering. It's a similar idea. They have the sanctity of a carbon, of an offering, but they don't have the capacity to influence the world, to, to influence the person, to exempt the person from his obligation. In the Beis Amigdash, when, it, when, it, when, it, when an offering was brought with the proper intent, and the same idea applies to the Bama, that normally it's not able to fulfill, while it's able to be an offering, it's not able to fulfill the obligation on behalf of the person to bring that sanctity down here into this world. When you, do, when you bring the offering in the, in the Holy Temple, then it's able to influence the world as well, that the holiness that's being brought down through this fulfillment, through, through bringing this offering, is fulfilling the obligation, bringing sanctity into the sacrifice as well. This idea that there's a strength of the mitzvah of, of karbanes, the way it is in the, in the Holy Temple, and, diff, and the way it is when you're bringing it on Obama, when you're bringing it on an outside altar, but with the instruction of the prophets, and versus when you bring it on your own, there's a similar idea, says the Rebbe, in every shul and in every base medrash, in every study hall, because there are mikdash ma'at, there are small 
say a small temple and there because we pray within them and we learn within them which are like the offerings that were brought in the temple that means that they themselves become filled with holiness so that's that's able to influence the person and the world as well that it becomes a holy place and a holy thing that's done in a holy place has a greater sanctity and a greater influence and from here the Rebbe says you learn an interesting practical lesson that it would seem that it's better anytime you're doing a good deed you're learning some Torah or gathering people for some holy purpose, it would be better to do it in a holy place, in a place that's already sacred, like a synagogue, like a base medrash, like a study hall, because since you did it in a holy place, it has a greater capacity of holiness that's drawn and influences the world to a greater extent, and that ultimately leads us in the direction of the ultimate third base amigdash, when we'll see the sanctity of all the mitzvot that were done, drawn down into the world to the extent that they're able to nullify all of the negativity that exists within the world. And we, we bring again the sacrifices in accordance with the Hashem's will, with the instructions of Hashem's will, the sanctity is able to be drawn into our world to elevate it and transform it to holiness.